Exodus chapter 20. We are most of the way through the Ten Commandments. We finished the Seventh Commandment in Sunday school this morning. And we are now on the Eighth Commandment here in morning worship. Eighth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Let's pray. Father, we ask your help to use, procure, further, and dispose of our outward estate. Give us the grace to use property well, to use it for your kingdom, to acquire it lawfully, to dispose of it righteously, to use it and further it while we have it in our hands in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Father, above all, show us Christ as the owner of this cosmos and the one who is bringing it exactly to where it ought to be, who is restoring it to you, his Father. Lord, give us the right attitude about property in a society that is insane with greed. We pray that you would free us from distraction as well as all ills. Help us to focus on your word, to love your law, even though it condemns us because it also inspires us. We know that we are forgiven for our sins against property and that you call us to live righteously in Jesus, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. Well, many of the commandments, we've seen that the world has some idea of this command and how to keep this command. And the same goes for this command. We live in a society, of course, where property is regarded as nearly absolute. Uh, People live and die for their property. We have whole outlets like the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg News that are dedicated to tracking the progress of finance and the markets. And there are people who care about this stuff and watch the business channels on cable television and are all about property and ownership and making money. Some of that is good, but the world does not recognize the ultimate significance of property. The reason this command matters ultimately is that the world belongs to Christ. Can I not do what I will with my own? Jesus says that in one of the parables as the landowner speaking to his hired guys for the day. And that is the mantra of our fellow Americans and oftentimes of us in the church. Can I, can I not do what I will with my own? The Bible comes to us, the Word of God comes to us in this commandment and says, it's not your own. Or at best, it is yours in a provisional sense. You are a steward But the property, the ultimate property rights, belong not to you, but to God. Jesus owns the world. We are stewards of property for his sake. And therefore, the commandment requires from us all lawful endeavors. So as with life, so with property, all lawful endeavors to procure, preserve, and further our own and our neighbor's outward estate. We have to get it rightly, we have to keep and maintain it rightly, we have to dispose of it rightly, and this is true not just for our own stuff, our own estate, but also our neighbors. 
So let's talk about this. First of all, what is property? Property is simply something owned. It is the stuff of this world. Cash, houses, land, financial instruments, goods, chattels, physical, uh, and even intellectual property. Things owned, things that a proprietor keeps for his use. The commandment doesn't require us to own property. It doesn't say, thou shalt be a capitalist in terms of a practical usage of property. The commandment rather requires that when we own property, it's assumed that we will have things. When you own property, you must do so in accordance with the law. As we've seen with the other commandments, you can't keep this one by breaking the rest. You can't keep this one by breaking the rest. You have to procure your property, use it, further it, dispose of it in a lawful manner. How do you procure property rightly? Well, there's only a few ways to get property. You can be given it. You can buy it. You can conquer it in certain circumstances that are fairly rare now that the entire earth is settled or claimed by great powers. Or you can work for it. Right? Buy it, work for it, be given it, or occasionally conquer it. This is how you can acquire property lawfully. We'll talk next week about various unlawful ways of acquiring property, theft, larceny, embezzlement, etc. Those are not right ways of getting property. Right ways of getting property pretty much require work. That is not, not the sum total of this commandment, but that is a huge part of it. You shall not steal requires positively that you shall work. You shall do things of value in this world with your time, effort, and energy. The commandment doesn't just require you to work, it requires you to do good work. The commandment forbids shoddy work. You shall not steal, and that means you shall not steal from the clients to whom you are obligated to do a job, or for whom you are obligated to do a job. Now, in certain trades, shoddy work reveals itself very quickly. If the plumber has done shoddy work, the faucet will usually start leaking, or the drain will usually start leaking before he can get his van out of the driveway. Right? If you want to do shoddy work, don't be a plumber. You're taught too easily. I regret to say that my own trades, uh, preaching sermons and teaching English, are notorious for tolerating shoddy workmanship. Many people preach terrible sermons or impart all kinds of nonsense and uh, lawless ideas under the guise of teaching English and then claim a full salary for that. But the commandment requires, or rather forbids you, to do that. Not to steal means not just having a trade, a lawful calling, but also diligence within that calling. An expert, good craftsmanship, whatever that calling might be. So in other words, getting into a profession, getting into a trade of some kind, becoming a mother, getting ordained, getting tenure, getting your master's license in your profession is not the end of work, but the beginning of work. 
So you procure property by work or, in rare cases, by being given it, by conquering it. How do you preserve property? You violate this commandment by failing to preserve your property. You leave your tools out in the rain. You don't put them away after two or three jobs. Pretty soon you can't find your tools. You steal from yourself by failing to preserve your property. You let your house get run down and its value evaporates. You don't change your oil and your engine seizes up. These things are very obvious and well known. That doesn't mean that all of us are good at putting away our tools or changing our oil, but we understand that it is a form of stealing from yourself to fail to preserve our outward estate and do the regular maintenance that it needs. We also steal from ourselves by failing to enjoy our property. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about this a great deal. Somebody to whom God has given everything but withheld from him the power of enjoyment. Oh, if you have the funds to eat meat and you prefer to eat peas, you are probably stealing from yourself. You're defrauding yourself of the due use and comfort of that estate which God has given you. Thus, many of you have seen me walking around town. Some of you have stopped and said, do you want a ride? And I say, no, I chose to walk. But that too, right, this affectation of walking everywhere can be a way of stealing from yourself when you have the opportunity to ride. You have to use your property and enjoy the estate that God has given to you. God has given to some of us the ability to eat oatmeal. To others, he's given us the ability to afford, what, seared ahai tuna. There's different levels of estates in this world and in this church. That's fine. That's within the providence of God. But that is also something that we should be aware of. You shall not steal means as well, don't defraud yourself and certainly not your children. Well, you can steal from others. We know that's wrong. You can steal from yourself. You can also steal from God. How do you steal from God? It's when you take the property that he's given you to steward for him and his kingdom And you use it for an ungodly end, whether that is strictly for yourself in some kind of selfish, grasping, wrenching, squeezing way, like Scrooge the miser, or in any other way that you fail to use that property for the kingdom. I'm always too busy to show any hospitality. I'm always too poor to put anything in the offering plate. I'm always too... Uh, I'm too busy having fun to give my children what they need. Or on and on it goes. There are various ways of stealing from God by diverting the estate he's given you away from godly uses and towards selfish or even outright ungodly uses. Gambling, perhaps. Or paying for drugs or other openly sinful activities. Uh, Finally, you steal from your neighbors when you damage their property through accidents. Well, I didn't mean to run over your fence through graffiti where you just go and spray on the side of the rail car because, hey, it's here and tomorrow it'll be over in Chugwater and they don't care about graffiti in Chugwater, so I'll just spray on this. This is off limits 
for the Christian. We are called to preserve our estate and protect our neighbors as we can. Finally, the commandment requires us to further our own estate. I saw a book recently with the title, The Moral Logic of Economic Growth. Well, that is actually a valid point. The commandment doesn't just require us to have what we have lawfully, to get it lawfully, and to maintain it, to keep it up. The commandment requires us to grow it. Why do I say this? Well, there's two scripture passages, both very important key passages that I think make this point very clearly. The first is what we've talked about quite a bit recently, the dominion mandate. Be fruitful. What does God call us to do with our stuff? He calls us to be fruitful with it. Make more stuff. Do more. Make more of what you have. The other passage that goes along the same lines is Jesus' parable of the minas, where the landowner goes away and he gives to each of the three servants a mina. One of the servants buries it in a napkin. The second servant trades with it and makes five more minas. The third servant trades with it and makes ten more minas. And the landowner, the Lord in the parable, says to the one who made ten, well done, good and faithful servant, I will make you ruler over ten cities. And the one with five, I will make you ruler over five cities. And the one who didn't do anything, who didn't further his outward estate, who didn't trade or profit with the gift that the Lord had given him, well, he was taken out and whipped. Something like that. So, at the very beginning, what are we told? Be fruitful. And in Jesus' case, when he talks about giving stuff to his people, what does he expect them to do with it? Make more. Be fruitful with it. So what is the most valuable thing you can do with your estate? Right? If you're thinking plow up your yard and plant apples and pecans, that's sort of along the lines of what the Lord wants to see. He wants to see us using what we have to make more fruit. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all called to grow apples and peaches. But it does mean that whatever you have, you should use for the kingdom. Thus, a well-functioning home is one where two people come together and make another person. Or two or three or four more people. A well-functioning church is one where people come together and make another person. Where disciples come together and make another disciple. That is a fruitful church. Where... At one time in this church, there were 10 followers of Jesus. Now there are 20. We have traded with the mina, and we have made more. We have taken the disciples we had, and we made more. We took the human beings we had, and we made more. So God is not necessarily calling us to make more widgets. This would be a better world if there were twice as many cars within it. That's not necessarily what he's saying, though it doesn't hurt to manufacture cars. Right? Selling Corvettes feeds children, just as selling pork chops feeds children. But in terms of the most important kingdom activity, that would be advancing the kingdom, making disciples, which we talked about as the calling of every human being. The Great Commission, go and make disciples. 
This belongs to the church. This is what we should be doing. The human race in general is called to make more humans. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That is the task. That is the job. Furthering your estate means, in the final analysis, making investments into the kingdom of God and into the servants of God. So there are different ways to do this. Different ways to lay up treasure in heaven, but they all come back to investing in, helping, blessing human beings. You don't lay up treasure in heaven by growing your Amazon stock or your Bitcoin holdings to some large value. You can use Amazon or Bitcoin to then turn around and invest in the kingdom. But just making money for yourself or increasing your land holdings, increasing your holdings of widgets, that doesn't make you more fruitful for the kingdom necessarily. That is, it's not what you have, it's what you do with it. So a fruitful home makes more people, a fruitful church makes more disciples, and fruitfulness is hard. Fruitfulness is taxing. Any of you who have seen that loaded apple tree with the heavy, heavy fruits hanging on every branch, you've seen that tree, right? In the spring, it's all straight, and by the fall, it's all bent over, and the ends of the branches are hanging way down, and sometimes the trunk splits, and the thing just falls apart in two pieces because it is hard to grow fruit. And that is why... In our culture of sterility, we talked about birth control this morning in Sunday school. So many people deliberately reject fruit. It's easier not to grow fruit. I don't want to do this. I don't want to break. I don't want to be that overloaded apple tree. That's especially true right, for mothers. It's very hard to be a fruitful mother. It's a lot of work. And it's very, very dangerous work that often killed people in the past and still continues to kill mothers today. But it's also our number one calling. Be fruitful. The first thing God said to the human race after he blessed them. And so, really this commandment, thou shalt not steal, we say, yeah, don't take my stuff. But the commandment challenges us by asking, do you really believe the words of Jesus who said it is more blessed to give than to receive? It's more blessed to be fruitful, to give fruit away, than it is to be given fruit, as it were. Are we here to grasp and keep everything we can? Or are we here to open our hands and live to give like Jesus who gave everything, including his own life? Growing fruit means investing in others, investing in the future, investing in blessings you can't see or won't see because they will come after your lifetime. Right? Fruit, how did I put it? The tree doesn't grow fruit to sustain its own life but to propagate its own life. A tree doesn't grow fruit to sustain its own life, but to propagate its own life. So 
Sometimes you see that apple tree with all the apples on the ground rotting underneath it and you think, oh, well, they're all going to rot into the soil and the tree will eat them and grow more. But that's not why the tree grew the apples so they would all drop around it and feed itself. It grew the apples so that there could be more trees. So this commandment urges us to not waste our property, to not steal our property, but it also tells us you must further your property and you do that by laying up treasure in heaven. Invest in the kingdom. Now yes, take care of your earthly estate, no doubt. Don't impoverish yourself and then say, well kids, now we're homeless. Daddy gave everything to church. Not good. But we do give, say, to our children, to the church, to our friends and neighbors. That is all part of thou shalt not steal. Well, we'll talk not only about property, but about some other things that this commandment requires that relate to property. The commandment requires us to keep our contracts. Breaking a contract is a form of stealing. If I contract with you and agree to sell you my labor for $17 an hour so that you can perform a project that you've in turn promised to a client or a vendor, and then I say, never mind, I can't come and work, I quit, I break the contract, and then you have to tell your supplier or your vendor, the contract fails. I wasn't able to get the labor I needed to accomplish the project. This is a form of theft. It's a form of stealing, right? To not show up for work or to break your contracts in general. Some contracts are explicit. Right? You sign the contract and say, yes, I commit to teach such and such a class for such and such a school and deliver it in the 2022 to 23 academic year. Many other contracts are implicit. By being born here and living in the United States as a citizen, you contractually agree to pay your taxes according to the Byzantine formulas of the U.S. tax code. That's a contract that you've entered into by default. The worst form of theft, the worst form of breaking contracts is breach of the marriage covenant. By doing this, to break your marriage vows, to destroy your covenant, is to steal a family from your children, to steal family from your parents, siblings, nieces and nephews, they lose the ex that you're divorcing, to steal wealth from yourself, your ex, and your children. And I could go on. All of these thefts are prohibited by this commandment. Thou shalt not steal. So that comes then to the question of how do we steal? I think it's pretty clear. I'm not certain of this, but likely very few people in this church are embezzling or helping themselves to money out of the offering plate when it goes by, or engaging in grand larceny or holding up banks or things of that nature. What are acceptable forms of theft within this church? How might we be guilty of this sin? And I really see it as most common in the realm of costs. There's two errors here. You could call them excess and defect if you want, but the first error is the error of shifting costs onto others unlawfully. Making others pay costs that are not theirs to pay. 
That is a form of theft, taking from those people. Now, there's some very obvious examples here. Big Pharma and the drug cartels. Perfect example of cost shifting. The cartels and Big Pharma rake in the profits from selling opioids. Meanwhile, the costs of opioid crisis and addiction are borne by local emergency rooms, first responders, and communities that have to deal with the fallout of hundreds of addicted people homeless on the streets. The costs, the, the profits accrue to the drug companies and the cartels. The costs accrue to the local communities. So, obvious one. Another obvious one is COVID shutdowns. Again, those were not free. Those came with a cost. The cost was masked by a massive stimulus, the largest stimulus in the history of the world. 20% of GDP, or $4 trillion, spent in 2020 to mask the effect of COVID shutdowns. That bill is coming due today. The costs of lockdown were postponed, shifted two years into the future. The American people had had to pay the costs of lockdowns at the time, the costs that they are paying today. They would have never consented to go on lockdown. Or uh, mining companies, another great example of shifting costs. They come and they mine and they sell the things that they mine and then they leave this huge pile of poisonous tailings or a big area full of worthless holes in the ground for someone else to deal with and pay the costs of. They've extracted the money. Now they leave the costs for someone else. Now, this habit of shifting costs, there are no big pharma or drug cartel executives in the room. There's no evil government uh, shifting costs into the future here in the room with us. How do we do this? How might we be guilty of shifting costs? And one of the biggest ones, there's really two forms of this, borrowing and mooching. I don't want the cost of ownership, so I will borrow your car, your boat, your animal, your machine, and use it for my project, and then return it to you. Now, borrowing is not always wrong, but borrowing is undoubtedly a form of shifting costs. And when borrowing becomes a pastime, a habit, something you do specifically to further your own estate at the expense of your neighbor's estate, borrowing has crossed the line into essentially a form of permitted theft. Well, they told me I could borrow it, so here I am. Right, I borrow this, and now I use this borrowed item in my daily work to make my daily money. But I don't have to pay the cost of maintaining it. There's also mooching in terms of food. Oh, so-and-so invites me over a lot. Well, I'll go over and eat their food, and that's so nice. I don't have to pay for this food that I'm getting. Or I'll just crash on their couch. I'll stay with them and not pay the cost of housing. So there's various forms of mooching and borrowing. A classic one is borrowing something and then returning it in worse condition. Right? You return the car empty. Ha-ha, they have to pay for the gas. Or you return, the, you borrow a building to do some kind of project in there, and then you leave your mess in the building. Ha-ha, they have to clean up the mess. I don't have to pay the cost of disposing of whatever the debris was 
from my project. This happens all the time. In the business world, expensing unnecessary things. Well, I don't really need to rent this car, but since the company's paying for it, why not? I don't really need to buy this, this nice of a meal, but since the company is paying for it, why not? Making the neighbors into free babysitters. Oh, the neighbor has kids. My kids go and play with the neighbor. Thank you, neighbor. You're a wonderful free babysitter. And on and on it goes. These are all things that Christian people who would never dream of walking into 7-Eleven with a firearm and asking for the contents of the cash register do without blinking. Shifting costs onto others. But just as bad is the flip side, which is removing costs from others that they should be paying. That is subsidizing or enabling them to do things that they have no business to do. Yet another example from government world, another classic example, is the public school system. The public school system keeps people from paying the costs that they should. Or it, Though people do generally pay some taxes for their schooling, those costs are masked and hidden. You get a property tax assessment in the mail every six months. But that property tax assessment does not say, this is a school bill for your children's education. It should. Because when you are removing costs that people should be paying and telling them, oh no, school is free, then you encourage wastage, breakage, disrespect, etc., etc., etc. It's a form of theft to subsidize people and protect them from their bad choices. Parents... We tend to be the most guilty parties in this. Oh, Johnny wrecked another car. Well, we'll help Johnny get a new car. He shouldn't have to walk everywhere. Or whatever it might be. Child A, child B, child C engage in financial foolishness and skullduggery. Mom and dad are there to bail them out so that they don't have to pay the costs of their foolishness. This, too, is a sin against that commandment. And, in terms of the previous point, making others pay costs they shouldn't, to willingly participate once it's become clear to you that this person is only borrowing my stuff in order to further their own estate and they don't have any interest in carrying their share of the load. They're really only interested in shifting costs onto me so that they can get rich at my expense. When that's become clear, that's when the donations and the subsidies need to stop. Oh no, my building is not available. My, my piece of equipment is not available. My tools are not available. Sorry. Because to keep giving to somebody who is stealing from you makes you aid and abet their theft. You are stopping them from working and furthering their outward estate in a lawful way. Right. Why do I say that? The bottom line here is that if Jesus gave it to them, he wants them to care for it, not you to care for it. Just as it's wrong for you to be the officious busybody who goes over and mows your neighbor's lawn and trims his hedge and your yard makes my yard look bad, so I'm over here cleaning up your junk. Not right. You've broken the principle of jurisdiction 
you have ceased to honor your neighbor in terms of the fifth commandment. You can't keep this commandment, the eighth commandment, by breaking the fifth commandment. Well, why do we say all these things? Bottom line, the end of the story is that Christ is restoring the world. The world fell into sin. Jesus was sent from the Father to come into the world, get a hold of it, and rescue it, to bring it back out of sin, back under the Father's rule. That's what we, that is the Christian message. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. That Jesus is bringing the Father's reign back to every corner of the cosmos so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ owns it all. And He has given to us a small piece of property on which we can image the rule of Christ. We are stewards rather than final owners. That's why it's never right to say, it's mine to do with what I please. It's not yours to do with as you please. You are the steward of it to use it for the one who loaned it to you. If you waste your property, you're not wasting your own. You're wasting his own. You are wasting what belongs to Christ He put it under your feet so you could co-reign with Him, imitating Jesus by taking a small slice of this world and bringing it under the dominion of God. How you acquire your property, how you use it, how you care for it, how you dispose of it, all of these things matter because you are either telling the truth about Jesus in how you use property, or you are lying about him. This is true with all the commandments. It's true in the seventh commandment. How you treat your spouse, especially how you treat your wife, right, is either telling the truth about how Christ treats his bride or lying about that. How you treat your property is telling the truth about how Christ treats his world that he made for his father and is rescuing for his father, or it tells a lie about that. You are Jesus' property. Live like it. Care like it. Lay up treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to shed the idea that our property, our outward estate is ours, And period. Help us to understand that it is yours because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Father, help us to make our property fruitful, to use what we have for your kingdom, especially in terms of making people and making disciples. Help us to lay up treasures in heaven, to invest in the kingdom and in the life of the age to come. Forgive us for this habit of shifting costs, either onto others or onto ourselves unlawfully. Father, help us to keep our contracts and above all, to recognize Christ as Lord of the earth and owner of everything. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.